Hello, my name is Nigel Bowden. I'd like to welcome you to episode 9 of the Wi-Fi for Beginners podcast. This is a series of podcasts discussing the fundamentals of wireless LAN networking. In each episode, we'll take a look at a different aspect of Wi-Fi to build your understanding and knowledge of wireless LAN networks. Each episode is accompanied by a set of slides describing the topics covered in that episode. Although you don't need to review these slides while listening to the podcast, they might be useful uh, to review the material that we discuss and provide a few visual aids to more fully understand some of the concepts and equipment that's described. All recordings and supported material can be found at my website, which is wififorbeginners.com. The podcast series is divided into a number of modules. Uh, Each module describes a major topic of wireless LAN networking. We're actually into module number three now, which is talking about wireless access points in a fair amount of detail. Uh, If you want to get to the beginning of this module, you need to go back to episode seven of the podcast. So episode seven and eight are the first two parts of module three. And uh, this episode number nine is the final part of module three talking about wireless access points. So really to fully understand the topic you need to go back to at least previous two episodes and review those. Also bear in mind that uh, the topics that we're covering throughout the series build on each other as we move through the series. So it's well worth going right back to episode one and listening to each of the episodes sequentially so you get all of the background information which relates uh, to later episodes and modules. If you are following along with the slides, in the previous episode we actually covered slides number 19 to 26 and uh, we're going to be moving on from uh, slide number 27 today. But just before we start, just a very quick review of what we covered in the last episode just to get you back up to speed and refresh your memory. So we started at slide number 19 and we were talking about the main AP components and we were specifically looking at radios and we discussed the half-duplex nature of radios whereby uh, an AP radio can either be transmitting or receiving at any point in time but can never be transmitting and receiving at the same time and this mode of operation is known as half duplex and this contrasted with ethernet switch networks where we can send and receive at the same time a mode of operation known as full duplex. We also talked about the fact that most APs have at least two radios in them, generally one dedicated to the 2.4 GHz band and one to the 5 GHz band. And we also talked about the fact that the two radios operate independently of each other so that each one can be talking to a different client at the same time. But both radios are still subject to the half duplex restrictions we talked about earlier. We also talked about some of the other major components such as CPUs, memories and custom silicon that we need uh, to perform the amount of processing and provide the features that a wireless access point needs. We talked in a fair amount of detail also about the Ethernet interface of a wireless access point. We talked about the fact that uh, an Ethernet port for access point needs to be at least 1 gigabit in speed. And even this requirement has been surpassed in more recent access points as the 802.11 standard evolves and speeds increase on the client side of things. We may well break the 1 gigabit per second barrier and need higher speeds provided by the new emerging MGIG standard. We also mentioned that very often a wireless access point is powered uh, over its Ethernet port using the PoE power over Ethernet standard. Uh, We talked about two main uh, PoE standards, 802.3AF and 802.3AT. And generally with modern APs we need to be able to support at least 802.3AT to provide the required power for the access point. And this is a consideration when deploying new switches that we're going to have to support uh, a wireless LAN. 
We also talked briefly about the console of an access point and how we might use this for initial setup and diagnosis of issues. And then we also covered the main points of considerations for AP installation. I mentioned the fact we wanted to keep them up nice and high in line of sight of clients. We want to avoid putting them near metal objects, behind any sort of obstructions and near to any known sources of interference. We also mentioned briefly that we need to consider cabling when deploying wireless access points and we need to keep our cable runs within the 100 meter limit that we need for cabling standards such as CAT5E and CAT6. So now we'll continue our discussion from slide 27 and just going to give a, a very brief mention to the various indicator lamps that you may see on the outside of an access point. Again, in the same way as console port can be very useful for diagnostics, AP indicator lamps can be very useful, especially when you've got an AP that's mounted up on the ceiling and it's difficult to get to. Just a brief inspection of the indicator lamps can be very useful to give you some idea of the state of the access point. This can include things such as whether the AP is powered on, whether or not the radios are active, whether or not data is being sent and received, uh, whether the AP has entered some sort of state where perhaps it's loading its software or maybe it's become disconnected from the network. By inspecting the state of the lamps and which lamps are on and off and maybe their coloration, you can determine what state the AP is in. APs have different numbers of indicators which vary with vendor. They may use different colors and they may have different flashing sequences depending on whether they're booting or in normal operation. But these are very useful to know when you're providing diagnostics on an access point that has some sort of problems. And realistically, you need to check the vendor documentation for your particular access point to understand what the indicator lamps are actually telling you. You also need to bear in mind that in some instances, you may actually have a requirement to turn these off uh, I've been involved in instances in hospitals and schools where the uh, flashing indicators on an access point can actually be seen as a, a distraction or disturbance to patients or pupils and it's not desirable to have them left on. Next, I want to talk a little bit about the configuration of access points. How do we actually configure it and, and what do we need to configure on there? Well, most APs will need at least some sort of management IP address to allow us to access it to set the configuration parameters remotely. Uh, and this may include things like accessing a web GUI on the access point, maybe being able to uh, telnet or SSH to the uh, CLI command line interface of an access point. It will also be used for communications between an access point and its wireless controller and also be used by things such as the network management platform which will be managing controllers and access points. The management IP address is generally assigned by one of two methods. It may be statically assigned using the console port of the access point by logging into the console port and executing a few commands to give it IP address, uh, subnet mask, default gateway, that type of thing. Uh, this could be added maybe during the pre-build if you're doing a pre-build of wireless access points uh, to uh, get them configured before you hang them around a facility. Or more often the IP address will be assigned using DHCP as the access points are mounted. When using DHCP, some access points actually have a number of DHCP options which can be provided from a DHCP server to give information to the access point, such as the IP address of the controller so that the AP knows where to go, find the controller and get its full config. So once an access point has got its management address and has IP connectivity to a network, there will then be additional configuration parameters which need to be applied to that AP so that it can provide the wireless services that we need from our wireless LAN.
This additional configuration may be provided from a number of sources uh, which are generally vendor specific. The configuration parameters may come from a wireless LAN controller and this could be uh, a physical wireless LAN controller or a virtual wireless LAN controller that's installed on a customer premises or it could actually be a cloud-based controller. The configuration may be completed using a web GUI on the access point itself. It could be completed using the CLI, maybe via SSH or it could be performed from a dedicated management platform talking directly to the access point. Again, this could be a physical on-site appliance, maybe a virtual machine, or it could be a cloud-based management system. Uh, the, the various options which are used are very much uh, vendor-specific, but all will provide the same basic function of providing configuration parameters to the access point so that it can fully provide the services that we need around the facility. One of the major configuration items that we need to configure for all of our access points is the service set identifier. You may already have heard of this, uh, it's better known as an SSID and this is the name of the wireless network or, or the service that we're providing and there may actually be a number of uh, SSIDs to provide different services and facilities across a wireless LAN. An SSID in giving a wireless network a name allows users to select the network that they actually need to connect to from their client devices. And when configuring our access points, we ensure that the same SSID is used across all access points and is available from all access points across our facility so that users may remain connected to that um, SSID and have access to the same service as they roam about a facility moving from access point to access point as they move between the cells of coverage provided by access points. As previously stated, there will generally be a number of SSIDs providing different services across a wireless LAN. And these will be broadcast by the access points so that they are visible to clients moving around our facility where our wireless LAN is deployed. Generally, it's best to try and keep the number of SSIDs that we're making available from our access points to uh, maybe four or even less if at all possible. Um, if we actually add too many SSIDs to our access points, then the amount of broadcast traffic which is created by the SSIDs to advertise the fact that the uh, SSIDs are available actually becomes uh, counterproductive and can actually start to eat up the amount of airtime and effectively the amount of bandwidth available uh, on our wireless LAN so that we reduce the capacity of it. So best practice is try and keep these to uh, um, four or, or even less as I say, which uh, provides a much better end user experience. SSIDs are generally used to partition different types of users that are using different security mechanisms. For instance, in a corporate setting we may have a corporate SSID uh, for corporate provided client devices such as uh, client laptops and then we may also have an SSID which provides uh, facilities for guest users who are visiting and in modern wireless lands it's very common to have at least one SSID assigned to BYOD functionality that's Bring your own device which allows employees to bring their own devices into the workplace uh, onboard them so that they can get onto the corporate network and to use those devices for their work in addition to ssids we also need to provide vlans uh, this provides segmentation of the different types of traffic uh, that are generated by our wireless lan and very often we will map an ssid to a particular type of VLAN. So for instance, we may have a corporate SSID which will be mapped onto VLAN 10, we may have a guest SSID which is mapped onto VLAN 20, and maybe a BYOD SSID mapped onto VLAN 30. And this obviously provides logical separation of our traffic so that each type of traffic generated by
via the wireless LAN uh, will be subject to different controls and pass through the network that's provided by each VLAN. In addition to this static assignment of SSIDs to VLANs, uh, it's also possible to dynamically assign VLANs to users based on their login credentials. This is a method known as uh, role-based access or RBAC and by inspecting the credentials which are provided during authentication of a client to the wireless network a decision can actually be made to assign the user to the appropriate VLAN which has got the appropriate access rights to the network once the user has been successfully authenticated. In addition to SSIDs and VLANs, we must also set up the security of the wireless LAN. And as previously stated, we'll generally have a different security method for each SSID. There are many options for wireless LAN security and we'll be taking a look at these in far more detail later on in the series. A few options we have available to us include the WPA2 personal standard. This is the Wi-Fi protected access number two standard uh, and this is basically a pre-shared key system uh, where the wireless network and the client have a key that they both know about and they use this key to generate cryptographic information to ensure that the traffic over the air is encrypted and isn't subject to eavesdropping. We've also got WPA2 Enterprise which uses 802.1x or EAP uh, which we'll look at in a lot more detail later in the series and this generally uses some sort of certificate exchange to provide authentication and encryption to prevent over the air eavesdropping and then finally we've got something like maybe web authentication which is used in guest scenarios where a client will actually enter some credentials using a web browser to get authenticated onto the network. I just want to briefly mention two other techniques which are sometimes touted as being security methods uh, and this is MAC address filtering and SSID hiding. Um, these are not actually effective security mechanisms at all. In wireless LANs it is possible to apply MAC address filtering so that only certain MAC addresses are allowed onto the network but unfortunately this is such an easy security mechanism to bypass because it's so easy on uh, a rogue device to actually change the MAC address to just simulate an existing MAC address on the network and bypass the technique completely. Uh, so that's one you definitely do not want to use. And also SSID hiding. Uh, we mentioned earlier that SSIDs are broadcast from access points. Uh, it is actually possible to switch off the SSID broadcast so that you can't see it just by casually browsing a list of available wireless networks from a client. Uh, but again, this really isn't an effective security mechanism. Just removing it from the list of broadcast SSIDs is again very easy to bypass. You can very easily have a look at the SSIDs being used by clients around just using a wireless sniffer and also many clients will be broadcasting the SSIDs that they're looking for during their probe requests. So again, using a sniffer such as Wireshark it's very easy to bypass this mechanism and see the SSIDs that are in use and then an attacker can just directly attack that SSID. Obviously the security settings of a wireless LAN are very important to get right in terms of selecting the correct configuration and selecting the appropriate security options uh, for the wireless networks that are provided on the wireless LAN. In addition to the SSIDs, VLANs and security settings, there are still a whole host of other settings that we can set up on our access points. We've got things such as radio settings. We mentioned before we've got at least two radios in most access points. 
and these radios will need configuring uh, with their channel settings got to make sure we're using the correct channels using the correct uh, power levels we might need to adjust power levels to ensure we're providing the correct level of coverage and we can also adjust things such as the 802.11 standards and the connection speeds that we'd like the AP to use Modern APs also tend to provide various traffic management configuration options and this can include things such as rate limiting, application control, many modern access points can actually listen to the traffic going back and forth and determine the applications that are in use and based on the applications seen may actually assign different quas and rate limiting levels to particular applications. This can be used to prevent uh, various applications becoming bandwidth hogs and causing performance issues on the networks. Many APs also will be able to apply access control lists or even firewalling techniques to traffic as well, so we may well need to configure those uh, in addition to rate limiting and application control. You may already be familiar with two well-known security protocols, that's RADIUS and TACAX, and we need to ensure that the access point is configured correctly to use uh, both the RADIUS and TACAX protocols to talk to security servers which will provide security enforcement. RADIUS is generally used to secure wireless clients trying to access the wireless network, and TACAX is generally used to secure administrative access to the access point itself. We also briefly mentioned guest access to the wireless LAN in our discussion of SSIDs and another area we'll need to configure is things like guest web portals and even guest accounts to provide to guests so that they can authenticate themselves onto the guest network. So that's a very high level view of some of the AP configuration parameters that we'll typically need to configure in order to provide a wireless LAN service around a facility. But bear in mind these are only the high level main configuration parameters you're likely to meet and with each vendor there'll be a whole host of additional services and features that will be available to you and it's well worth reviewing the vendor documentation to fully understand all of the features and services which are available to you. The final area we're going to take a look at in our discussion of wireless access points is standard support. Uh, generally when you're trying to determine the capabilities of a wireless access point for your particular application, uh, you'll take a look at vendor literature and it will describe its capabilities in terms of the 802.11 standard amendments that it supports. So uh, we've already mentioned the 802.11 standard uh, previously a couple of times but we'll just take a little bit of a deeper dive into it now to describe what we mean by the uh, 802.11 standard and its very various amendments. So uh, as we've previously said the 802.11 standard is created by the IEEE which is the Institute of Electrical and Electronic Engineers and all Wi-Fi networks, Wi-Fi network devices, clients, they're all are described in terms of the 802.11 uh, standard amendments that they support. All Wi-Fi devices must support the 802.11 standard, but they don't necessarily support all of the various amendments within the standard which give the different range of features uh, which are available within 802.11. So if we just break that down a little bit more, if we uh, look at the standard itself at 802.11, um, the 802 uh, part of it actually refers to the IEEE LAN MAN committee uh, within the IEEE itself. The IEEE is made up of a whole host of various standards committees and 802 uh, is the LAN MAN committee and then the dot 11 is a, a suffix if you like a designator which uh, identifies a, a subdivision of that committee which is dedicated to the wireless LAN standard so 802.11 is the um, wireless LAN 
LAN subdivision of the LANMAN committee and you'll find that all of the various wireless LAN amendments that we're going to look at will begin with this 802.11 designator they're generally followed by a suffix such as 802.11n, 802.11a, 802.11g there's a whole range of them which uh, refer to various amendments which provide different features and facilities uh, within uh, the 802.11 standard and they've evolved over time uh, and the letter designations have incremented over time so uh, we need to bear in mind that 802.11 only refers to the OSI layer 1 and 2 levels when we're considering the 7 layer OSI stack so wireless LANs and the 802.11 standard only looks at layer 1 and layer 2 and as I said this standard is constantly evolving over time we've got the original 802.11 standard and as it evolved over time we, we moved through 802.11a, 802.11b, c, d etc and uh, over time uh, the letters have incremented all the way through the alphabet um, and in fact the, the original 802.11 standard was first released in 1997 and soon after that we got 802.11a B, etc. Uh, and then over time they've actually run out of letters. They got to 802.11z. Once they got down to z they actually started doubling up on the letters uh, and we moved through uh, 802.11aa, ab and now recently we've had the 802.11ac standard which uh, actually describes the uh, gigabit Wi-Fi standard as it's commonly known which has given us a very high throughput uh, rates that we're now enjoying uh, in wireless LAN networks. So we'll just take a little bit of a deep dive into some of the 802.11 amendments you may hear about or you may see on a vendor data sheet. Um, so you may often see the 802.11e uh, amendment referred to and this actually defines QAS within wireless networking. If we've got real-time applications such as voice QAS as on the wired side of things uh, is very important. So we've got 802.11e describing QAS mechanisms over the air for wireless LAN networks. Uh, we've got 802.11i which is a very important amendment which describes robust security mechanisms within wireless LANs and this is very much aligned with the Wi-Fi Alliance standards, the uh, WPA and WPA2 uh, security standards which were interim standards while the IEEE was actually ratifying 802.11i so uh, 802.11i, very important one uh, we need to get to know about. Uh, another one you commonly hear is 802.11a which was the first one after the original 802.11 base standard and that described OFDM which is orthogonal frequency division multiplexing on the 5 gigahertz band and you uh, still occasionally see 802.11a supporting devices uh, in networks which is very much a legacy standard now in the same way that uh, 802.11b and g are and um, as I mentioned uh, previously this description of which amendments uh, client devices and AP support is very much used as a reference to describe the capabilities of those devices so if somebody says yeah I've got a, a wireless access point that supports 802.11n you've got a good idea of the sort of speeds it's going to get up to and we mentioned previously 802.11ac you've got a very good idea of the sorts of speeds uh, that you're going to achieve from a wireless access point which supports 802.11ac just to list some of the well-known standards you'll often hear uh, you've got 802.11b 
which was a very popular amendment that supported by a lot of early clients and this supported speeds up to 11 megabits per second on the 2.4 gigahertz band and we had 802.11a which supported speeds of up to 54 megabits per second on the 5 gigahertz band 802.11g which supports speeds up to 54 megabits per second on the 2.4 gigahertz band and then uh, we had 802.11n uh, which gave us quite a uh, quantum leap in speeds uh, and was a revolutionary uh, amendment uh, gave up to about 215 megabits per second on 2.4 gigahertz but on 5 gigahertz we could get up to uh, 450 megabits per second and uh, more recently as I mentioned we've had the 802.11ac standard which uh, initially gave us speeds up to around about 1.3 gig um, but there are projections uh, with the next wave of 802.11c devices and beyond we could be uh, going well beyond the 5 gigahertz uh, speed and uh, we're really getting into some very high throughput capabilities for wireless LANs there so that's just a quick tour of some of the 802.11 amendments you're likely to hear about but it's certainly well worth studying a few of those you can get the 802.11 standard itself from the IEEE website I think it's currently available as a, uh, a free download it's pretty heavy going when you read through it but it's certainly worth having a look to uh, uh, understand where some of these letters and designations uh, come from Okay, well that pretty much wraps up our talk about uh, wireless access points. We've covered a lot of areas in these three episodes. Hopefully it's been useful uh, and given you a little bit more background information about wireless access points, their role in the network. So just to summarise what we've covered in this module, we uh, took a look at what is an access point. We took a very high level view uh, of access points. We had a look at uh, what it might look like, the sort of size and shape of them. Uh, we had a look at the, uh, the basic functions of an AP. We talked about the fact that we were converting RF signals to and from the Ethernet wired side of our networks. So we're basically describing the way the AP extends the wireless edge of our network out by converting between Ethernet 802.3 frames and 802.11 frames. We also had a look at the concept of modulation of an RF signal, the way we actually uh, change an RF carrier signal uh, in response to a data stream so that we can convey data over that RF link. We looked at some of the basic components of an access we looked at antennas, radios, uh, the sort of core components, CPUs, memory, that sort of thing. And we looked at Ethernet ports. We mentioned the importance of uh, power over Ethernet in powering our uh, access points uh, from switches brief look at console ports and then we had a look at some of the important considerations when installing access points we talked about the fact that we need to try and mount them up high so we've got good line of sight between our clients and our access points where possible uh, we described how each access point provides a, uh, a cell of coverage uh, as we move through buildings we roam between cells uh, and we provide a nice uh, blanket of coverage throughout a building by deploying multiple uh, access points uh, we obviously want to install them where we have have uh, no obstructions which are going to limit the RF radiation from our wireless access point. We also need to be mindful of cabling requirements. We've got to keep within our 100 meter uh, run limit so that we can uh, support standards such as CAT5e, CAT6. Um, we also took a look very briefly at some of the main configuration elements that we might need to perform on wireless access points. We talked about things like a basic IP configuration, uh, um, how we might access via a 
console connection, maybe a web access uh, connection. Talks about configuring uh, service set identifiers, SSIDs, which is the, the name of the various wireless LAN networks we make available. Talks about VLANs, which perform the same sort of uh, logical isolation of traffic that they do in a wired network for us. And um, we mentioned briefly as well uh, various security mechanisms. In addition to that, there are going to be more advanced settings we need to think about, such as RF settings to control our channels and our transmit powers, things like traffic management, that's rate limiting, and we need to consider security mechanisms such as uh, the authentication of, of administration users who've got access to our access point. And we also might need to think about things such as uh, guest portals, uh, configuring the look and feel of a guest portal and the uh, accounts which have access to it to get guest access onto a wireless network. And then very briefly, we had a discussion of the IEEE and the 802.11 uh, standard itself. We talked about the IEEE committee which defines the uh, wireless LAN standard and uh, we talked about the uh, letter designation which were assigned uh, as new amendments are added to the standard. We also mentioned how the various 802.11 amendments are used when describing the capabilities of uh, a wireless LAN device. It can give us a good idea of the various features and the speed that the device uh, may be able to support. Uh, and one final point which is very important we need to remember when we're talking about the 802.11 standard we are talking about layers 1 and 2 when we're considering it uh, in relation to the 7 layer OSI model. So that's pretty much it. We've concluded our discussion of wireless access points. We'll be certainly mentioning them again in forthcoming episodes in relation to other topics. So I hope this module has been useful in describing the capabilities, uh, features and functions uh, of a wireless access point. It gives you a little bit more context of where an access point fits into uh, a wireless LAN and how we use it, uh, which will help you going forward with your studies hopefully. So uh, if you'd like to review any of the slides uh, and, or any of the other audio material which I'm providing as part of this podcast series, uh, please remember to get along to my website which is wififorbeginners.com. You can find all of the supporting materials there uh, including a few quizzes and uh, access to a few other resources to assist you with your studies of uh, wireless LAN networks. So I look forward to joining you again soon on the next edition of the Wi-Fi for Beginners podcast.